Hi guys, it's Rosie. Uh, just before we started this podcast episode, I wanted to let you know that um, I have one correction during this uh, episode. I do say Congresswoman Jackie Spears' name, but I said it wrong several times uh, after saying it right once. So it is Jackie Spear, not Jackie Shear. Um, and then I would also like to remind everyone that we do have a Patreon. Uh, so if anyone wants to support us uh, by any means other than listening to the podcast, which is just great in and of itself. Uh, you can go to patreon.com. Um, so that's P A T R E O N.com, uh, slash a vague knowledge of everything. And, uh, there are several tiers in there. They will all have, um, exclusive content. We do have patrons in there and, um, some of them will even have merchandise attached. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, patreon.com slash a vague knowledge of everything. Okay. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to A Vague Knowledge of Everything. I am Rosie. I am Hope. And today we're going to be talking about uh, Jim Jones, Jonestown, and why the phrase drinking the Kool-Aid maybe shouldn't be used as much as it is and uh, as casually. Yeah, it's not not, not great. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I'm going to start out, Hope, by just asking you uh, how much do you know about this subject and like... Yeah, you can just summarize what you know or what you've heard. It was a cult or had like cult-like qualities. And uh, this guy was recruiting people. I think there was a lot of people having sex with the leader. And then he decided to kill everybody and made them drink Kool-Aid. I'm not clear on if they understood what was in the Kool-Aid. Right? Yeah, okay. So that's that's all sort of vaguely factual and stuff yeah that's my vague knowledge (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right cool so uh yeah i can fill in some gaps i've got a bunch of notes here Mm -hmm. uh the reason that i wanted to talk about this is because it is it's really relatable to uh the social issues and stuff that a lot of us are concerned with today and also i just i was hearing the phrase drinking the kool-aid or that someone you know drank the kool-aid or whatever it is a lot recently and in some areas it wasn't misplaced but a lot of the time it is like a lot of the time it's just someone being like oh this person really likes this workplace they drank the kool-aid They're getting like that's, into that's it. a ridiculous thing to say yeah like you're so it's, it's not <laughs> you're judging people for being enthusiastic about a new thing like a community that's not mm-mm-mm. yeah I, the drinking the kool-aid it's it, it, it's very it minimizes something that was a really big issue um, in the same way that I think like people saying, Oh, I have OCD about something like just cause they want something to be neat and tidy. Like, no, you don't understand what you're saying. Did you know so. that I have OCD tendencies? Like legit. That was one of the diagnoses I got on the thing. It was like, hope has some Fun. OCD qualities. And I'm like, no. And then I'm doing something and I'm like, okay, well shut up. How about that? because i'm like am i is this like a weird superstition i have or is this a medically induced problem (laughs) not medically induced so hard to know with something sometimes but yeah yeah oh right now hope's 
kitten was well she was just hitting her in the face with her tail oh, yeah that's again. you oh god oh hi luna over my okay look how big she's getting just real quick oh you're so getting big. so big bye we're in a little tuxedo Oh, little kitten. Maybe we'll post a, a picture of Luna and just be like, sorry for bumming you all out. Here's uh, here's Luna. Here's one of the podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, okay. So now we need to talk about Jonestown and Jim Jones. So where Jim Jones started is very important because you can see early on that he was, he was different. I think some of it might have been nurture, but probably some of it was nature, just like how he was as a person. How much of that, I don't know. Um, and also, of course, he had some drug use later, but it's worth talking about his childhood uh, to put things in perspective. So uh, it is also important that uh, most of the things that we know or think about his early life is actually taken from his own accounts. And since he, you know, would tell a lot of other lies I'm not sure how much of it is actually true or not. This is just what I've gotten from what people seem to think is true. So uh, anyway, so his um, his mother was known as, and this is a quote from an article on PBS that I found. Um, it's She was known as a feisty, independent woman, you know, so troublemaker, uh, but that she had doubts about a sky god and laughed off neighbors who said she was going to hell straighter than a bird could fly. That's that's a lot there. I, I'm like, okay, so I guess she was a nonconformist. And like, that could mean that she was like, like, maybe was like, out of her mind in some way. Or it could be that she was just an independent thinker, honestly. Are they from the yeah. South? Is this big place in the South? North Carolina. I knew it. North Carolina, yes. <laughs> the judging people for not being Christian and then like the phrase with so many words that don't make any sense. Like the, yeah. the colloquial... I knew it. <laughs> you didn't even have to tell <laughs> <Yep>. me. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he grew up in North Carolina. Yeah, with a feisty, independent woman who not was allowed. going to hell straighter than a bird could fly, apparently, because she didn't believe in a sky god. Yeah, so there was that. Um, also, so his father was on disability. Um, he he was hurt in what they. For some reason, this PBS article refers to it as the Great War, and I was like, which of the wars There's was two. the greatest? <laughs> And I, I, I was there like, well, none of them were great. And then I just made myself laugh for a while. And then I looked it up and it's <laughs> World War I. Um, it's, it's important to laugh where you can because this is such a sad story. But yeah, yeah. The, so, so his, yeah, his father was a, a veteran of World War I, also apparently known as the Great War, which I think we should get away from because like, why? Um, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I read that he was of Quaker and Baptist descent, but I don't know exactly what that means or how religious his family actually was. Right. Because usually if you are religious, you like identify as something or you, you know, like th there's some one thing and Quaker and Baptist aren't, I mean, they're related. both Christians, but they're, yeah, they're not the same thing. So I'm kind of wondering what that meant. Like, did he just have certain people in his family who were members of each religion or whatever? Or did he have like a Quaker mother, Baptist father or whatever? Like, I, I'm not sure exactly. But anyway, yeah, so he had those, uh, it, those um, themes in his life. And he was, he was very interested in all of the other religions around. Um it said uh, that the things that I read say that he explored every church in town 
uh, Quaker, Methodist, Nazarene, Church of Christ, and Apostolic. Um, so there's two things there. Both of those are Christian. Sorry, not both. Sorry. All of those are Christian. Um, yes? What year is it? Did we say the year yet? Jim Jones was born in 1931. Okay. So this is like in 40s and 50s. Yeah. Where he'd be doing this? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so when he's when he's a little kid, he's well. He actually was really interested in exploring all religions when he was a kid, even. So Ooh. this would be like thirties, thirties and forties, uh, in there. He, uh, yeah, he was really interested in all of those, the all of the religions in town, um, all of the Christian ones at least. And I'm not sure if he would have been interested in other ones. It doesn't say if there were other religions available to him. So that might have just been all that was around. Right. Uh, I'm not saying he was anti other religions at all. Um, but he anyway, <laughs> he might have been whatever. He was anti other people generally. <laughs> uh, so uh, the the apostolic one was the thing that stuck out to me. Um, apostolic basically means um, it's like Pentecostals, like people who speak in tongues, and you know they'll be like falling down and fainting and doing kind of the more dramatic religions. Right. Um, um, so the <laughs> Pentecostal is pretty dramatic. Uh, pen- there's there's a sect of Pentecostals who call themselves sign followers that that take up snakes and handle snakes. That's not something Jim Jones did, but like that's that's the vein of Christianity. It's the one where you do lots of things to sort of demonstrate your faith. And so for Jim Jones, a lot of that was performative, but it was pretty intense, and he was really interested in the communities who did big dramatic things and put on a show that's really interesting because at the episcopal church in the episcopal church which is where i was raised and where what i identify as there's you know like affirmations they're like the long prayers that you say and you're like we believe in this that and the other thing and one of the mm-hmm. things that we say is like we believe in like something in the apostolic church or something like that and i never knew what that meant i just assumed it was like where episcopalian the branch came from like the original branch but maybe i mean it could be referring to the same thing the apostolic church is a christian denomination and pentecostal movement that emerged from the welsh revival it looks like it could be in reference to a couple things possibly but i I think the apostolic church that he was going to was probably a pentecostal church um Yeah. yeah but you yeah you can still check with your mom and ask her all right so at any rate um he yeah, he was really interested in all these religions. He also uh, was, he very much identified with underdogs in society. Uh, so kids that were bullied, he would re- he would uh, stick up for them, mm-hmm. um, stand up to bullies, etc. He would rescue stray animals. So if kids came over to his house, like he'd have a bunch of animals roaming around. He would preach to kids, like as a little kid himself, he had figured out sort of the, like, this is how I need to sound, you know, where you get really loud and you get really quiet you know like do all of that stuff where you have to like create um an air around you that makes you seem very authoritative i suppose so he'd he'd figured that out when he was a kid uh then he in high school he would do these strange performances um like they they describe um in one source that he staged an elaborate funeral for the school that was playing against them in a basketball game like they're doing a pep rally, and as a teenager, he's he's like, "I'm gonna have a funeral for the other team because they're going to die." You know, like it's it's a very odd thing, but I think people thought that was like funny. There's stuff. It's something. stuff that's like it wouldn't be a red flag until you learn about the later stuff. Like you wouldn't know exactly. that this is a yeah. like a warning sign almost. 
Yeah, it's up like this seems kind of funny. It seems pretty in line with the kind of high school stuff that you would say about, you know, the other team you're playing against. But it's it's weird in retrospect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So he, yeah, so he, uh, he really wanted to help people. Actually, he was really interested in the medical field. He didn't get... I don't think much medical training, but he did work as an orderly in a hospital at some point um, in Indiana. Mm. Um, and then he uh, he met his wife. Oh, he went to I think he went to school there. I think that's why he was there. I'll double check that. Um, but he met his wife, Marceline Baldwin, uh, when he was working as an orderly at a hospital. She was a nursing student and they got married in 1949. Um, not a whole lot comes up about her later on except that she supported what he was doing so cool. basically like once they got married she was like i'm down yeah but like she she was she was mrs jim jones and she basically is involved in all of that so i won't be mentioning her a, a whole lot more but basically the stuff he was doing she was standing there going yep mm-hmm. so just just remember that anyway um so there's that. Um, so in Indianapolis, he was a student pastor at the Methodist Church in 1952. Uh, but then he chose to found his own church, the People's Temple. That was in 1956. Um, and he was actually, oh, the temple joined Disciples of Christ in 1960, and he was ordained in 1964. So he was an actual ordained minister um, in a recognized religion like he wasn't just like some guy who was (laughs) ranting and raving about stuff like he he actually did go through schooling for it as well um in the 50s he was really inspired by father divine and he went to visit him um father divine was a black spiritual black spiritual leader with an integrated congregation um which is really really cool in and of itself like the fact that he had black and white people in the congregation yeah he also claimed he was god so you know Got some other stuff going on. And if you look into Father Divine, he's an interesting character. Uh, But basically, like, the whole, like, oh, I am God incarnate and I can perform supernatural healing and that kind of stuff was something that really stuck with Jones. Yeah, because what's better in a cult of personality than being able to heal people with laying on of hands and stuff? Yeah. All right. Um... So, as I mentioned, Father Divine had an integrated congregation. So, you know, people of um, of any, um, sorry, blah, uh, people of any race, uh, generally black and white, although I think everyone was welcome. Um, and this was, this really resonated with Jones because he was very uh, pro-integration. Uh, segregation was really something that angered him and he didn't want to be a part of systems that uh, condoned it, which, hey man, that's a really, really awesome thing. And you can see why so many people (laughs) flock to that because it's really cool when, um, oh, and he was white, by the way, just just so everyone can put this in perspective because this is in the 50s when he's building his church. Um, This is a white man coming along who, you look at pictures of him and he has like a similar sort of style to Elvis. Like he looks, I, it, it looks like he's kind of trying to look like Elvis a little bit, you know, like, like that's, yeah. you could look up pictures of Jim Jones and see what that looks like. But, but yeah, so he had a very sort of signature style and he was coming out and saying these things. I'm sorry, my Facebook messenger is going off and it's, <laughs> is it the Kusans? Yeah. I'm, I'm worried. It's just going to be a bunch of like burr, burr, burr in the background. So I'm going to mute. 
So, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so he was really interested in integration. He supported it fully pretty much everywhere, uh, including his own family. Mm. Um, so he and Marceline did have uh, some children of their own. They also adopted. So he had a lot of kids and he specifically wanted to make sure that he got uh, an array of colors, <laughs> which it's it's one of those things where like ooh ooh this isn't bad in and of itself but like if you start being like I want a Native American and I want a black one and I want you know like you keep going on yeah. like that like that's Collect not a the good whole set sign. don't do that yeah it's kids aren't Pokemon like it's if you want a kid it should just be like I want a child not I want a child who looks like X Y Z I want a child um, not like a a check on a yeah. list. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so they they adopted a part Native American child named Agnes, three Korean children, Stephanie, Lou, and Suzanne. And 1961, they were the first white Indianapolis couple to adopt a black child. Um, which I mean, it's he, he got a lot out of that being the first white adoptive father of a black child. There, I think that was hey, that was really important for him. Yeah, he yeah. sounds like he's got like a hero complex thing going on. Where he's like, I'm going to save all these people because of who I am as a person. Not because they're yeah, just people and, who deserve. And then they will all be loyal to me. <laughs> Luna. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he very much wants to be seen as a savior. So they, uh, oh, they, I guess they had just one biological son, um, Stephen, who I'll talk a little bit more about later. And they also have an adopted son named Tim. Uh, they, yeah, so, so they call themselves a rainbow family. Um, and a quote from Jim Jones says, integration is a more personal thing to me. Now it's a question of my son's future. Uh, and I, I think that's really interesting because, and I, I was trying to find the actual little clip, but I, I ran out of time and I didn't find it, but mm -hmm. I had watched, um, so I watched several documentaries about Jonestown and one of them has Jim Jones Jr. in it, um, James Warren Jones Jr., um, and that that is his black adopted son. And he talked about how Jim Jones would never just call him my son. It was oh, it's my my black adopted son, not yeah. just my son, not just my adopted son, not just my black son, my black adopted son. Like you have to have the hyphens in there to show That's like look at me. Building. Yeah, like, like it's it's a very weird thing, but that was something that just stood out to me so much in there. That's why, um, and, and I think it. Where you should just be yeah, like, here's a bill for therapy right now. Like, <laughs> you're going to need. <sighs> okay. It's it, it's interesting because you see Stephen um, also in some of these. that They've both talked about Jonestown. And Stephen in particular, actually, he, he really is trying to, I think, find ways to sort of tell the story so that this doesn't happen again. And I think he has some really good intentions. But the way that he talks about their father is different and i feel like his experience with him must have been different because he still it like jim jones jr will say like my father uh steven will say my dad or no, sorry not my dad just dad yeah like which is kind of a way like that you talk to like someone like your sibling about your parents which is a thing that a lot of them did in the cult and so it's kind of interesting to hear that and it's like well yeah he was his dad and, like, that doesn't change by all of this stuff happening. It just sounds strange to hear someone acknowledging all of these horrible things, but then still calling him dad. Yeah. But anyway, that's just kind of, like, more pondering from me. But um, I'm still on page one of my notes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so those are all the children they have. Um, so his 
message really resonated with a lot of people, especially people who could see, oh, he is doing what he's saying. He really, really wants things to be integrated. He has an integrated church. Uh, he, uh, he and his not constituents. Um, he and his congregation would do things like if there was someone who wasn't able to get service at a restaurant because, uh, because the restaurant said they wouldn't serve black people, they would go and like occupy the restaurant. And Jim Jones was such a like a popular figure that that was like a way that he developed an image was like, I'm going to go stand up for people. Like, like I am like a white person who's going to go stand up for black people, which is great, especially during the fifties. And it's one of those things that sucks now to be saying it's great. Cause it was, right. but anyway, can, uh, yeah. Can I, can I interject a social work thing that we've been talking about? Mm-hmm. And I made this, I have a bunch of sticky notes. I don't know if I've talked about this yet, but I have like stuff where it's like, one of them says safe space and an arrow that says brave space. Because I think a lot of people think safe space means, like, we can say whatever you want, but you need to say stuff that's, like, constructive. Anyway, so another one has ally written on it, and allies are crossed out, and then it says accomplice. Because if you're a good ally, you're doing the stuff that could get you in trouble. It's not performative. It doesn't benefit you. You're just doing the stuff because it's what you're supposed to do. Even if it means you yourself are going to suffer for it because they're suffering way more than any trouble that you or I could get into. That's a really good way to put that. And it's like it, it involves accomplice to someone. action instead of just a title. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he's being yeah. an ally, well, but it's a performative thing. Yes. However, he also did a lot of other really good things, God. <laughs> which is I feel like it's really important to talk about the good things because I think that when things are good, people get sort of complacent. And especially if they feel like they owe the good things to someone, then that's how someone accrues a lot of power. Mm. Um, so I I, I want to point that out. And because we were talking in the so the reason I wanted to talk about Jonestown to begin with was when we were talking about uh, the Capitol insurrection. And, uh, and Ryan was talking about like, how, how you can get a lot of power if you're meeting people's basic needs that haven't been met before, you know, if you're feeding people, housing people, clothing people, making sure that everyone has everything they need, then that means a lot. And it means a lot more than someone giving a speech and saying, this is what I'll do if I'm elected, etc. Like if someone who's even not an elected official, like someone who's the leader of a church comes to you and says, and says, oh, we can help you with this. And if you're having a hard time paying your mortgage, um, what you do is you sign over your lease to us, or not your lease, sorry, you sign over your house to us, um, which, which a lot of people did. And then they would give them the money that they were like, if they got money from the government, but it wasn't enough to cover all their expenses, they'd like, they'd give the money to the church, and then the church would take care of all their needs. So effectively, Mm -hmm. they were getting, they were really getting stuff out of it. But then he was also getting stuff too, because that he owned these houses and stuff. And then he, you know, had all these people who were in his debt, and they would do whatever he asked them to. Because, you know, if you have a care home for elderly women that has a lot of elderly black women who've been overlooked, like, them, they and their families will be really grateful to you and be, you know, want to help you out. This is because who would do that if they didn't have their heart in the right place? It's always black women who suffer, it's always black women. And I cannot, they, of course, they have a distrust of white people because we've just been manipulating them this whole time. Like, yeah. of course, they shouldn't trust us. I wouldn't trust us either. I don't trust us sometimes. <laughs> 
<sighs> anyway, um, so yeah, as far as concrete things they did, um, so so Jim Jones' career uh, actually it did benefit from all of this stuff that he <clears throat> was doing and how his message resonated with people. Um, he was made the Indianapolis human rights or the head of the Indianapolis human rights commission at one point, And Ooh. he desegregated movie theaters, restaurants, the telephone company, hospitals, and the city police department. Wow. Um, the, uh, yeah, the people's temple, his church ran a free restaurant and homes for the elderly and mentally ill. So they did stuff where like, if, if, if I fucking saw like a, a liberal church doing these kinds of things today, you and I would I give would money. I would feel really good about it. Yeah, yeah I would, would feel donate. really good about it. So, so that yeah, that's why I think it's so important to say that because this wasn't an isolated thing where a bunch of people got entranced by some weird guy in sunglasses <laughs> who likes to yell a lot. Because a lot of the uh, a lot of the tapes you hear, like he's being horrible and he's yelling and shouting and all this stuff, and you're like, why the fuck would these people listen to him? But yeah. think about all of that. Think about all of the concrete stuff that they got, you know, like they have, you know, they're staying warm at night. They have roofs over their heads. They're fed They're They don't have to worry about their families because their families are getting taken care of. Like it's just the abuse yeah. cycle on a larger scale where they like, um, you and, know? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, like, like with your point, people would donate. Yes, exactly. Like that's the thing. People like you and me would donate and that, um, leads really well into something later on, oh, but just welcome. for a second. <laughs> <laughs> um so they their family because they were an interracial family and they were so like you know loud and splashy about it they they were targets of abuse as well um so that's like kind of a martyrdom thing where you're like oh look how poorly people are treating us and we're standing up for everyone um but then again they they didn't deserve that in any way um marceline didn't deserve to be spit on when she was walking with her interracial family but she was um people sent letters to uh the church saying they were praying for the death of jim jones jr the kid that they adopted mm. um yeah so uh, there was there was a lot of a lot of shit going on um i'm not sure if he was doing drugs at this point but it seems likely jim um, senior <laughs> so at this point J yeah jim senior yeah not yeah not jim, jim jones jr i don't know anything <laughs> bad about him i don't know much about him um but he uh yeah so he started getting a little paranoid about nuclear war and by a little i mean a lot i don't know why i said a little <laughs> um <laughs> he was getting really worried about it um and he read an article in esquire magazine that listed a bunch of place on places on earth where one might actually be able to survive a nuclear war and he moved to brazil for a while like he moved his family to Brazil for uh, maybe about two years. Um, it's a little bit fuzzy to see the timeline. There's also a lot of weird shit going on in Brazil, but it's not clear what was actually happening. Uh, they seem to be living a really lavish lifestyle, but people didn't know where the money was coming from. Uh, he, he had like several different claims about what he was doing, but they didn't quite line up. Like he said he was a gigolo at one point. And, like, that was totally okay with his wife, and he was making money that way. Um, and then he would get paid and then get donations for, you know, some cause or whatever. So it was okay that he was doing it because of, for a cause. But anyway, so they're, they're living a pretty, like, a lavish lifestyle in Brazil. And uh, they... 
it, it was said by someone, I don't know if this was a reliable witness because they didn't say much about this person, um, but apparently someone said that they saw a lot of U.S. consulate cars go in and out, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of rumors that Jim Jones uh, was working with the CIA. Mm-hmm. So there's some weird unanswered questions there, and it's like, it sounds kind of conspiracy theory-like, but it also is like, well, it's just weird. So what what could be happening? There's a lot of weird things that happen in this story. So, hey, man, it's possible. Anyway, <laughs> so so that was the thing. Uh, then he ended up moving uh, to back to the states. Uh, they went to uh, sorry, just a sec here. Okay, um, so they went to Ukiah, which is a town near the Redwood Valley in California. Okay, um, that was one of the other places that Esquire said you might be able to survive nuclear war. I'm not sure how Esquire was getting these sites. It seems kind of random, but like, okay, uh, Brazil or Ukiah, I guess. Uh, Yeah, so he moved his family in the People's Temple there in 1965. Um, So at at 1965, he would have been 34. So he would have been in between mine and Chris's age. This is a lot of stuff to get done by then. I mean, he's industrious. I'll tell you what. Uh, so in California, they continued to grow and develop uh, into a political and social advocacy group. Uh, so by this point, there were still religious services, but the social advocacy and racial equality, that message was really taking hold as the main thing. Um, so it was becoming more of a social movement than anything else. And there was like a bit of a religious aspect to it. But in general, people were kind of like, well, our main goals are really good and pure. So it's okay to like you know, had this be a religion that's not really that religious because what we're getting is racial equality and social action. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, he, so this is also another point that I just wanted to bring up. Uh, Jim Jones preached socialism and communism both, uh, which is weird because they're not the same thing. I mean, people who interchange them generally don't know what they mean. Um, uh, I've noticed PragerU does that a lot. Uh, that was another thing I was prepared to talk about this week, but we're not going to, but I'm still going to mention them because they are a horrible indoctrinating site that teaches everyone conservative things. Okay. Um, just want to crowbar that in there. Um, anyway, uh, but they confuse communism and socialism a lot. Um, and so did Jim Jones, apparently. Um, so I just wanted to find them here. Um, socialism, which is something that I think are country could benefit from some form of, not necessarily a total form of, but socialism is a political and economic theory of social organization, which advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. Um, So altogether, like everybody owns everything, they all distribute it together. Um, It's a cooperative, not a lot of people, like there's a lot of people who wouldn't be happy with it, but in effect, there's nothing sinister about it. Um, Communism is a political theory that's derived from Karl Marx advocating class war and leading to a society in which all property is publicly owned and each person works and is paid according to their abilities and needs. Communism, true communism hasn't really existed, I don't think, um, but communism is not the same as socialism. Like, I I would not call myself someone who supports communism. Um, But anyway, I wanted to sort of point that out that they're not the same thing and people who interchange them generally don't know what they're talking about. So I think he was using those words as buzzwords for the people who were really um, into social change at that time because there was a lot of protesting going on in the 60s. So so there was that. Um, Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, a lot of the people who were part of People's Temple when he was in Indiana had come from lower income families. Like those are the people who were, you know, going to the free restaurant and getting those things that the church was giving and that kind of stuff. So they really benefited from stuff that the church was doing. Um, the organization's New Incarnation California uh, attracted more middle class people. So it was like liberals of all races who maybe had some more expendable income to donate and uh, who were interested um, or had been involved in campaigns in the 60s, um, like anti-war people, people who were interested yeah. in, yeah, you know, socialism, communal living, that kind of thing. Like, you know, people who wanted war to stop and wanted, you know, integration in right. society. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, these, so this is around the point where, like, you and I would get pulled into it because we'd be like, "Oh, well, they want really good things." So, yeah, we'd yeah. be we'd be dead. Um, yeah. So we'd be dead. Um, San Francisco's liberal civic leaders also really liked uh, this community that he developed because it was again, it's people with an expendable income, people who are at like a higher class level, and. A lot of, yeah, a lot of the liberal civic leaders liked that because it meant that they could get more sway in the public sector. So, um, so that was happening. Uh, the pub, the temple grew pretty quickly. Um, and they also, they donated money to local causes. Uh, and I think the local causes they donated to, uh, are, I mean, they're generally good stuff too, really. So you look for it. It's uh, a fund for police widows. Uh, the NAACP, uh, the Ecumenical Peace Institute, like they, they have, uh, yeah, they, they really donated to a lot of good people. So there's, yeah, there's good and bad. And Jim Jones contains multitudes of the extremes, I would say. So he, uh, yeah, he wanted to have this diverse group. He also had these people who he could call on to distribute flyers, uh, produce a mass mailing, or populate a cam campaign rally at a moment's notice. So, you know, if you suddenly are like, oh, crap, there's not enough people here, call Jim Jones. He'll get you 200 people down there, and then everyone will think you have a lot more support than you do, and then you get more support off of that. So for politics, it was really probably pretty great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. So um, he... Just real quick, he owns all of these mm -hmm. houses, and we're in the Midwest right now. We're in like Minneapolis or something, right? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, well, no. Now we're in uh, now we're in, in California. California. Uh, but the thing is, with with the houses, I don't think it, it, it was like a situation where I would assume if the, the people are moving into like elderly care home facilities or something, they're selling the houses, so they're probably getting money from the church that way. So. This isn't like a homestead situation right now. It's not like they all live together. No. Okay. I just not yet. double check. Not yet. Great. Yeah. Not, not, they, don't, they don't all live together yet. Um, they do tend to congregate in the way people do who are in cults, like the way that, um, like the Nexium cults, mm -hmm. everyone would um, go to Clifton Park outside Albany and they had a bunch of people living in the same place. So they had congregate had congregating stuff like that or like how Scientologists all go to Clearwater. Well, not all, but a bunch of them <laughs> have gone to Clearwater, Clearwater, Florida. I yeah. Why I kept saying California, but yeah. So it's just like, there's, there is a thing that happens in these groups, especially where they want to kind of group together and they end up doing that or they're encouraged to do so. So I'm assuming some of that did go on, but they're not like living communally yet. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So, let me see here. 
Uh, People's Temple helped elect George Moscone in 1975. Um, I believe he was the mayor of San Francisco. Uh, yep. Uh, the new mayor in return appointed Jones to head the city's housing authority commission and uh, in a rally for Rosalind Carter, more than a half, more, more than half the crowd consisted of People's Temple members. Um, Rosalind Carter is uh, Jimmy Carter's wife. So she was mm. the first lady at the time. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so there's like, there's a decently important section of politics that he is now a part of. And uh, yeah, it's fairly, fairly big deal. Uh, he, his group, his church gave money to a dozen local newspapers. Uh, the People's Temple members demonstrated against the imprisonment of four reporters who re- refused to reveal their sources. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. Uh, the getting the newspapers on their side was a really, really good strategy, at least for a while. Uh, because, I mean, for a cult, bad press is the thing that ultimately probably kills you. So getting good press by supporting journalists. For anything. Or getting them at least, yeah, yeah, or, or getting th- at least that, well, for supporting journalists, it means you have good press with the journalists. So mm-hmm. then the journalists aren't going to do, you know, I mean, bad stories press, trashing you. Bad press is so bad I, for I think any situation. Important. Yeah. Yeah, and having people who are like reticent to talk badly about you because you gave money to a fund that helped you out. I mean, I mean, it's pretty tough to make that call. <laughs> All right. So, at his religious meetings um, at this time, so now we're in the early seventies, and and he was doing this stuff before. Um, it was how he was getting a lot of uh, members, but he kind of upped his game a lot as time went by. Yeah. Um, he he would demonstrate his extraordinary powers at religious meetings. Um, so these extraordinary powers are like reading minds, healing cancer, predicting the future. Um, but what was actually happening, of course, was his inner circle was like rooting through garbage cans and medicine cabinets and finding like private information or or they would go up there and pretend to be blind or afflicted with something. Um Marceline, his wife, would also get like um, chicken parts, like like innards. Um, uh, and would hide them like on her person. And at some point uh, when Jim Jones would like cure someone of a cancerous tumor, like the, uh, they would somehow produce the chicken parts to like, be like, Oh look, this is the tumor. It flew out of you. Oh, Everybody yeah. The and the thing is like, I understand that like, that sounds silly to us now and to be like, to to look back on on that and be like, well, how did they not know? That's kind of ridiculous. Well, think about this. This is also people who, you know, a, like a they've got maybe have gotten some kind of financial or other support from the church, um, and then they saw someone they thought get healed healed of blindness on stage like ten minutes ago. So like, there's a lot going on. They're also being asked more and more as time goes by. So like, they're getting less sleep. They're working really hard. Like when you're not kind of meeting your basic needs as far as like sleep and that kind of stuff it's easier to get sucked into ideas that are a little bit i'm not gonna not not crazy um a little bit far out there on the outset unorthodox unorthodox there you go he's he knows what he's doing because these are vulnerable populations he knows he can manipulate them because they uh don't have they're trying to provide and this is how you provide and of course like if you it's just all bad yeah and it's 
And I, and I do think it's important to, to think here that like even people who are around him said they didn't think that he was planning for things to end how they did early on. Mm-hmm. Um, what, but what they thought was that he was addicted to being the leader and being the father of everyone. Like he would have them call him father or call him dad. He was really addicted to that feeling of power over people and to make those people's lives better and to have them be dependent on him. Like there was, there was a God complex going on hardcore. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So he, he really needed affirmation of this constantly. And the people he was most likely to get that from were going to be the people who needed help because if he could help them, then you get something back from that. Right. So, yeah. So there's that. Um, the inner circle, of course, did know the truth. Um, but they, they decided their actions were justified because they were trying to further the socialist egalitarian state that he was trying to, um, like that, that ideology he was trying to push forward. And they thought, well, if this supports that, then how can it be that bad? Well, um, you know, slippery slope. Slippery slope anyway. to a cult. <laughs> slippery fucking slope. Yeah. So then they get to a point uh, which uh, which is something that's very reminiscent of uh, because recently, I guess not, not super recent, but like months back when uh, the Nexium documentary came out on HBO, The Vow, and then there was another one that came out on Stars um, called Seduce. So both of them, they talk about this thing that uh, Jim Jones was doing back in the 70s, um, which was having people sign blank confessions or confess horrible things that weren't actually true just to give the church leverage if they should decide to defect. And of course, the way you get someone to do that again is like, well, everything's amazing. Like, why would you ever want to leave? This is a great, like, organization to be a part of. So it's, I mean, like, people would, I'm sure, look at it as something. Yeah, exactly. It's an abuse cycle. Um, But I'm sure people would look at it and be like, well, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to leave. So, like, why why would this matter? You know, it's never going to come out. Have you, just a side note, have you watched the Leah Remini Hulu series about her Scientology? Oh, my God. Yes. It is. I mean. I mean, Jeff. Have you listened to her podcast? Oh, don't tell me she has a podcast. I already have so many. No, she does. God. She does. I'm going to plug it at the end. We'll talk more, more about right. it. I love her so much. Yeah. Anyway. More more, on, more on the remedy later. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's definitely related. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so he would have people do that. Um, yeah, that's something that Keith Raniere um, uh, did in Nexium many decades later. It's like literally the exact same move. Um, so this he is used the blueprint. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. So he also, I, I I just realized I had like a really like chirpy tone right before this thing I was about to say, but it's terrible. Um, he oversaw and encouraged beatings of people who had misbehaved. Um, so there were like public beatings of someone who'd done something horrible, which they saw as being bad for the church. Um, he encouraged people to inform on one another and children were rewarding for informing on their parents. Now, what religion does that sound like? Mm, you know, Scientology. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I think that. It seems like L. Ron Hubbard would have been kind of a contemporary of Jim Jones because they seem to be happening kind of simultaneously. Kind of at the same time. Like, yeah, not quite simultaneously, but like, yeah, contemporary to each other. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so so there's that going on. Um, it was I think it was a time that was pretty ripe for cults, unfortunately. Um, times of <laughs> I, times of major social activism are also times for cults to pop up, and that's kind of a time that we're in or approaching oh, yeah. now. So, like, yeah, this, like I said, it's important. It's the cult of flat earthers. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Don't get me started. Oh, God. All right. Anyway, so cult. Of, yeah. Um, no, not cult of flat earthers. Let me see. Back to uh, People's Temple. Uh, so, yeah. So Jim Jones was um, he was having people on form on each other, which is a thing that it's literally like what Scientology lives on, like what they thrive yeah. on. Um I have in my notes. I have all caps. Scientology. Scientology. Um, I, uh, in addition to this, uh, he would he would also like take people aside and say like, "You're the one I really trust. I really need you to let me know if anyone's doing." You know, like he, so he would take individuals aside. Exactly. That's exactly what you do that's, when you're somebody, abusing someone. Is you're like, "You're the only one I can trust. I need you." Yeah. Somebody's telling you that you're the only person they can fight in, you're the only person that they can trust, they're going to turn that on you and say, I'm the only person that you can trust, and I'm the only person that really knows you. If somebody's saying that shit to you, it's time to go. Like, um, yeah. Or or the flip side of it, I'm putting all this trust in you. Why wouldn't you trust me enough to right. sign this blank confession, do whatever, et cetera? Oh, why would you not want to have sex with me? Which was another thing that he did with his congregants. Um the apparently uh marcelin was like not super happy about this but they seemed like all i've seen was that she sometimes voiced her discontentment but she didn't like say oh it's wrong of him to do this and he was fairly open about the sexual relations he had with women uh not with men <laughs> um or at least not then uh but yeah no he was also having sexual relations with with men in the community as well so he was sleeping with uh men and women congregants but it was always sort of couched in terms of like well i need to do this for you so you'll understand whatever you know like it's there's there's this horrible description of like him talking to of course what was a teenage girl about like well i need to make you understand that you're beautiful and like this nope. horrible fucking no, abusive don't. thing. She'll figure yeah. it out. She um, and and exactly what you think happened happened there. Uh, but we don't need to drag through that again. But yeah, he was he was a rapist. He would make sexual advances on people who who they like he knew that they could not get away from him without fear of something happening. You know, whether that's that blank confession they sign gets given to someone or you know, people turn on them, they shun them, whatever it is, they get excommunicated, they lose their whole family, like all kinds of things could happen. So he had built a world where he was allowed to do this. So he's, yeah, oh yeah, he's doing all these horrible things. Um, then he got really interested in the idea of rev revolutionary suicide. Oh my um, God. So like the suicide for a political cause mm -hmm. and saying like we're doing this as a protest or because we can't live in this world with our values because the world outside is making it too difficult um he got really interested in this and a lot of people around him were like uh no the, the, he's not serious and they were like no it's just hyperbole um but then he would float more and more ideas um he would like ask the congregation like this is our our cause isn't it worth dying for um he would say like oh well what if we had a bunch of people go jump off the golden gate bridge like as a protest to capitalism and the way things are going in the u.s um he would say things like oh well, let's get a bunch of congregates on a plane and then shoot the pilot in the head so that the plane crashes 
um, truly horrific things. Um, then I also have, so I have, okay, so this is going to be the part, I'm sorry, I had to find it first. I did have it paused and then it like, yeah. Um, but this is the part that I'm going to just cause they do have like a guy who was there describing it. And so I think it's interesting, but this is some, this is something he did before they went to Jonestown and it was like a trick he played on his inner circle. A kind of ritual that mimicked Holy Communion. Everybody gets a half a glass of, of wine, a little styrofoam cup of wine. I thought, cool, I hadn't drank any alcohol since I had been in the temple, so a little wine sounded good to me. And so everybody drank and said, boy, that's a first. We never had any juice before. Fast forward five minutes, Jones says, you've all just been poisoned. You got an hour to live. And so, you know, obviously, you know, immediate adrenaline. We were all looking at each other. And then he started laughing a few minutes after that. And he said it was just a joke. He said, but you've passed the test, though. I know you're loyal uh, to the to the cause. Because when somebody's so principled, they're ready to die, the snap of a finger, you don't know how to handle And that's what I want to build in you, that same kind of character. All right. So did you get all that audio? I don't actually know. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I, I did. Unfortunately, I okay. did. That's uh that's upsetty spaghetti right there. That I did not like that. That made me that's one of those ah. things where it's like there there was like a a visceral reaction like in my body. Mm-hmm. I was like, this makes me feel sick to my stomach. Like that's so bad. Like can you imagine hearing that, being like, you just drank poison, you have an hour. Like, what do you do? Like, what do you do? Mm-hmm. There- People in positions of power need to be able to keep their power in check. Have you seen Captain America? Yeah. Okay. The first, the first or second, maybe the first one that's in like World War II, and the scientist who's about to give him the serum the night before, like, comes and talks to him, and he's like, "Why did you pick me to do this? Like, I'm this small, scrawny little guy who got turned down from the military because I have too many like." medical problems he's like because a big guy who's always been a big guy is going to act like a bully for the rest of his life but a big guy who started as a little guy is going to understand the plight of the little guy i want a little guy superhero and just keeping that in mind with people who are in positions of power you have to like recognize people who want to exploit everybody because they want to show how strong they are 45 like that's their way of seeing themselves as like, I need to exert my power because that's what's been bestowed upon me. And then there's people from like more grassroots organizations who are able to be like, I understand Bernie. I understand the working man's <laughs> plight. I understand the little guy. And just this guy just sounds like he just wanted to be loved and wanted to take care of people, which is like fine, but like for his own recognition almost. It's, it's interesting because like if if he and Bernie Sanders had been in the same state at the same time, like when he was first doing his social activism and stuff, like they would have worked on things together. I'm sure because he got involved in government. So you think about this and he's really like not that far away as far as like what he says or what he said, his uh, goals were from a lot of the people that we support. So it's a very interesting thing where i think you have to look at intent as well as what they actually say they want you have to look at okay but yeah but why do you want that is it so that you can just be a hero or 
you know, what is it? Two pieces. Uh, because like he did, he did come from a very poor family, but yeah, it didn't. Well, and also he wasn't necessarily known for amassing huge amounts just for himself. I think what he really was after was power over people. Yeah. Um, much more so than money. Although he did want to have money, yeah. but um, but he wasn't like building mansions with it. So, right. so yeah. So there's that stuff. Um, where are we here? All right. So he's okay. So he's very preoccupied with uh, the idea of revolutionary suicide. He's doing these drills where he and he didn't do that um, just one time. That video that was like he did that several times, uh, and it definitely built up a feeling in people of like, oh, he just likes to play pretend. Like, and this is like, he's just doing, he's doing a pretend game, but that part doesn't matter because we're doing all this good stuff. So just let him do his pretend games. Like, it's fine. Like, maybe he, you know, maybe he's on a pill because he, you know, like he's so hard, works so hard for all of us, you know, like there's all these kind of explanations you can make in your mind. But what he's doing with that is kind of getting them used to the idea that they're drinking poison with poison in quotes you know like oh it's probably really not you know so that yeah. that's something that i think is that's very important and it comes in yeah it, it becomes important later a as well false sense of security yeah so uh so when people started to leave and speak out um he decided, okay, we need to move the, the church elsewhere. Um, in 1974, um, some people from People's Temple were sent to rent. Um, let me see. It says it's more than 300 or sorry, more than 3,800 acres of jungle property in Guyana. Uh, the reason they went there is because uh, that was a former British colony and people still spoke English there. So it was a place they could go that's far away, like it's in the jungles of South America, but people around them they have to communicate with, they can. Mm. Um, so, so they wanted to go to Guyana. Uh, they, they sent this small group down at first. Um, then, okay. So the place that they, that they went, the place they set up, uh, Jonestown Agricultural Project, which is what they called it, um, from the capital, uh, city of Georgetown, the capital of Guyana. Um, it was 24 hours in rough ocean waters, followed by 12 hours upriver to Port Kaituma. From there, travelers bounced over six miles on rutted roads to Jonestown. So really far out there, really far out of the way, really, really hard to get out. Yeah. So trapped. there's that. Trapped. Yeah. Yeah. Creating a situation where you're trapped somewhere and you, if you want to leave you basically have to get help from people because like you can't walk all that way. You can't, you know, you can't really get there unless you get help from other people. And if all the people you have around are members of a cult, that's not great. So, so that happened. Uh, One stipulation of the lease was that they were required to clear one fifth of the land for cultivation. Um, The first 35 to 50 of the Jonestown residents were young men who, were cutting down trees and burning them to clear the land. Um, they built cottages, kitchens, food storage areas, laundry rooms, and infirmary. Um, they got some school buses, and they built an open-air pavilion where they could hold meetings. Um, so at this point, there's like 50 people there, tops. Um, and apparently, it was a really good setup for about 50 people. <laughs> um, and it wasn't meant for the thousand or so people that came. Ah. Um yeah, so so it really wasn't meant for that, uh, but so here, okay, so it says um, um, this is from a PBS article I read. Uh, they have a great series on this, which kind of breaks down each time period 
Um, so what they say is among the pioneers at Jonestown was Philip Blakely, who rated, who later wrote about Jonestown to his ex-wife, Deborah Layton. I never thought it would come to this. I really love Jonestown because I built it and I saw it all from when I was still, from when there was still Bush there. It was not until Jones got there that things got bad. If he really wanted to do something for socialism, he could not have done anything worse. Uh, so basically, like, yeah, he created a bad name for socialism. Also, it was like when he came, it was when the flood of people started coming in. Mm-hmm. And when when you suddenly realize, like, oh, there's now hundreds of people, the camp gets overrun, all the resources are strained. Um, so August of 1977 was when he arrived with hundreds of people and when it started becoming not a good place to be. Um, he, his worst tendencies really came out when he was there because he didn't have anyone to answer to. He was the highest authority. There wasn't really a local like police force that was going to keep him in check at all. They were like in their own little camp and he was the king. Um, like I said, people were calling him father or dad. Um, he confiscated medications from everybody, uh, so that he could keep himself medicated. So he would be on, Amphetamines during the day and barbiturates at night. Oh my god! Um, those are both very, very addictive. Um, so he's pretty much drugged up all the time. Uh, publish, uh, sorry, not publish. Uh, public uh, punishments continued, um, as well as like him continuing to sexually assault people or make sexual advances. Um, he, this is the weird thing, and I don't really know exactly what he meant by it, but it said he, well, sorry, this isn't the weird thing. There's a lot of weird things. <laughs> um, but he declared that all men except himself were homosexuals. I, okay. I don't know why. I, I mean, I guess whatever. I don't know. He had to cure them all, I guess, by sodomizing everyone. Mm. Uh, but he, yeah. So, so that was the thing that he could do. Um, he tightened his control over who could associate with one another, um, what I'm picturing there is maybe that means that he makes a couple break up for some reason and then takes advantage of both of them sexually. Like that's the thing that I see maybe is yeah. what his motivation was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, they're all doing hard physical labor. Uh, also, they had loudspeakers that would broadcast sermons that he had taped. Um, he was nuts about taping stuff. He loved it. So there's lots and lots of video footage of him. There's lots and lots of uh, tapes. There is there is a tape of the last day at Jonestown. Oh, like there's tapes of everything. It's fucked up. He probably just um, really liked to watch himself and hear himself talk. That's what yeah, it sounds like. Yeah, no, he was he was super narcissistic. So, yeah. Like he 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 wanted that and he also wanted that for everyone else. He wanted everyone else to watch him and hear him and be kind of consumed by his presence because if you get so saturated with something like that and you can't think about anything else, mm-hmm. eventually I guess you just give up. Yeah. But yeah, so so there's Yeah, it's it's really horrible. It's basically like what we would picture I think a concentration camp being. Yeah. Um at least at the at the point where there's a thousand people there. Um earlier than that, I'm sure it, it was good when there was only, you know, as many people as the land could support. Uh but yeah, so there were there were late night meetings. Um he was really well known for doing late late night meetings. Um he even would do like super long church ceremonies in the US when they were still there that would go late into the night. So it was just like a thing he did. Um he he would then they sometimes escalated into what he called white knights. And the reason he called it white knights is because at some point he took issue with the phrase uh like a black day, like meaning that something bad had occurred. Because he he decided that that was racist, calling something a black day, and like 
I mean, like you could, I think it's a stretch. I don't think that's what anyone's referring to when they say black day, but anyway, I mean, both that that black people and the color black exist separate from each other. Yeah. Like the color still is just a color in some contexts. Yeah. So yeah, the concept of like black representing something bad. I mean, I think sometimes it definitely is racist. I don't necessarily know if it is when applied here, but I don't know the history of the term black day. So anyway, but he, so what he had instead were white nights. Um, and that was, um, it was an all night uh, event where the entire population would huddle in the main p- pavilion um, and they would have to listen to him as he preached, which is like just railing against like the government and the media and relatives, um, like their relatives who didn't want them to be there, like railing against them too. So basically like, these are all the people you should hate. These are all the people you should be afraid of, you know, yeah. like they would, they would tell them they were under siege, you know, like that there were people outside who were doing something bad, which like, of course... There's no. no way to double check that unless you go out and you can't because people are keeping you in for quote unquote your safety. Right. Um, like they had, they had guards who were ostensibly there to keep anyone from getting in, but there weren't people around. So what they were doing was trying to get people to not leave. Um, yeah. <laughs> Fun. Yeah. Uh, so, so there is that. Um, he also controlled all the information that came in like letters um, letters coming in and going out were censored. Television, co- or it's not television. Um, telephone calls were restricted or scripted. Um, the relatives in the United States remembered hearing Jones or other voices coaching their loved ones on what to say. Uh, so that's that's a major cult thing where someone sits next to you and says, "This is what you say." That's what happens when you're that deep in a cult. Um, yeah, so there, there was nothing there to contradict his version of what was going on. So he would tell him, like, the news, but the news that he would tell them were things like, the Ku Klux Klan is marching down the streets of American cities. I mispronounced that. It's Ku Klux Klan, and I don't know why that bothers me so much, but it does. So I had to correct myself that I mispronounced that, which it pisses me off that I'm mad about it. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so so that wasn't happening, but he said it was. Um, concentra- he said he said that concentration camps are being erected for black people and political dissidents. Hmm. Um, he said that uh, that nuclear war was inevitable and it was like about to happen uh, there. And of course, with people in there, they have no idea if this is true or not. And at some point, some of them have been there for a long time, long enough that maybe if you don't hear anything from the outside, that's what you're thinking. So, so there's that. Um, they, okay, so he, he had his followers practice revolutionary suicide where he would like just have them drink from vats of colored water. Um, and he would tell them that it was poison just the same way that he did, um, like that guy was talking about in the video. Um, and then at the end, he'd be like, that was a test. You all passed. And yeah. of course, they got used to the fact that this was a test and not a real thing. Um, and for anyone who hasn't heard of Jonestown, like there's a reason I'm stressing that. So he has people do all of these uh, these suicide drills, which people kind of get to the point of like the boy who cried wolf. Like, it's not going to be poison. It's fine. Complacency. Um, then... Yeah, complacency, effectively. Uh, effectively. Uh, so meanwhile, there were relatives of the uh, People's Temple members who were in California and other places in the U.S. They were really concerned um, and they were they're calling themselves the concerned relatives and they were lobbying American authorities to investigate People's Temple and Jonestown. 
um, because they weren't able to communicate directly without having to go through Jim Jones. And so they were freaked out about that. Um, there were people sampled defectors among them. Um, and they told their stories to the American media detailing the work camp and the threats of mass suicide. Um, so there were people who did get out beforehand, but it was usually like if they had to go to Georgetown for some reason, then they'd leave from there yeah. instead of instead of being like, I would like to leave. And then they were allowed to leave. It wasn't like that. Yeah. So um, it was a little bit, a little bit different than that. Uh, November 7th, 1978, uh, U.S. Representative Leo Ryan of San Mateo, Cal California, announced that he would form a congregation a congressional delegation to investigate these stories. I couldn't say congressional. I don't know why. <laughs> um, the delegation's visit, uh, it actually went fairly well. Uh, it wasn't that bad. He showed up and said, I want to hear what you're doing here. I just want to talk to you guys and see what's going on. Um, he did bring some, he brought some news cameras, um, some news reporters with him, um, his assistant uh, as well. So they're... <sighs> I, I can't get a good idea of how many people were on this trip because there's conflicting stories that say like some pe say 23 people went down, some say 15. So I, I don't really know. Um, it seems odd that we wouldn't know that since this happened in the seventies, but right. okay. Um, so, so I don't really know, but like people, uh, people went down with them. So it wasn't just one dude. It was like a delegation of people. They went down there, talked to people, listened to people at some point, uh, they did actually like say, oh, does anyone want to leave? And like people didn't raise their hands. But of course, like it's a cult. You can't just be like, hey, does anyone want to leave? Because like in front of their leader, they're not going to say anything. In front of the people who are informing on them, they're not going to say anything. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, one of the – is it a cameraman? Okay. It was a reporter. Uh, eventually, a couple passed a note to a reporter, to a reporter asking them to get them out. Um, and it was just like a very short, like, please help us get out kind of thing. Yeah. And so, like, he showed it to someone else, and then they, um, little by little, more people started saying they wanted to leave. Not a lot. There's a very small amount, um, like, you know, less than 2% of the whole population. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, that's not a huge red flag for anyone. But, like, just the way they were kind of, like, very nervous about it and freaked out about anyone knowing they were right. trying to leave um, was, like, it was a red flag to the people there. But they were also, like, well, it doesn't seem like anything that we... Like, there's nothing actionable going on that's wrong here, but it does seem like Jones is unhinged, but they, they couldn't really do anything. Yeah. Um, except for offer to let people leave with them. So they offered to let people leave with them, um, the people who wanted to leave with them. And again, I don't have the number on it because some places say a dozen, some places say 16. I don't know. Uh, fewer than 20. Definitely fewer than 20. Uh, people went with them. Um, there were, oh God, there's like heartbreaking things of like, and they have videos of it too, of like one parent trying to leave with a kid and the other one's like, no, the kid stays with me. And like, oh God, um, horrifying stuff. Um, so yeah. So anyway, so so people left. Um, yeah, it definitely split up families as well. Um, families had already been split up that way, um, just because some people wanted to leave and some people didn't. Um, so that happened. Uh, someone did try to attack the congressman on his way out, but he actually got help from his security and from people's temple security who were like, nope, 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 you can't attack him and took him off. And so he was like, oh, OK, well, that was decent of them. Uh, they left. Um they didn't report that attack to anyone, you know, whatever, um, because they were leaving. And so so they left with these people. Um, the, the defectors were 
concerned about this man named Larry Layton because he had been pretty high up in Jones's um, structure of people, but he was one of the ones who said he wanted to leave ah. and people didn't believe him. Yeah, they were like, this This doesn't seem right. And they were like, they were telling the congressman and, and like other people, like, this doesn't seem right. Um, just like, you have to watch him. And he had, he had a poncho on around his waist and people <gasps> were worried that he was hiding a gun. Or a bomb yeah, for the so plane. Yeah, so there was, there was, there was, it, was, it wasn't a bomb. Okay. So that's nice. He, he did have a gun, which we'll find out later. Uh, well, right. We'll find out now. Spoilers. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, anyway, so he yeah. So he was a spy. They were right. He was a spy going with them um, to I well not to spy, but he was going with them for bad reasons. Um, so they got to the airstrip, and there were too many people for the plane they originally came in because like it's a small airport, so they came with a small plane. There was another plane coming from Georgetown, so they were waiting right there for the plane. This truck shows up, and a like bunch of people start shooting at them. <gasps> um, I yeah, that's I saw. I saw something that said it was nine people who were shooting. Uh, but yeah, it was People's Temple, um, quote unquote, security that followed them with guns. Um, and later on, the assistant to uh, Congressman Ryan, um, she said later on that like the people who who's the, like like the people who okayed them to go there on the delegation didn't tell them how many weapons Jonestown had. And she said that she would have been more concerned if she knew that but i guess they didn't really know how much weaponry they had but they had been amassing a fairly large supply of weapons um and they they opened fire and people on the airstrip um they killed five people i believe um before they got there i think larry layton who's the one with the poncho who everyone thought was a spy um he he got on a plane uh, before like the other people had gotten on board and um, the congressman was saying, well, no, I'm frisking everyone before you get on the plane to make sure no one has guns or contraband or anything. So you have to come off. And he was like, no, you did frisk me. And he's like, no, I didn't. Um, and so Larry Lane's like, okay. And then he comes out, gets frisked, goes back on the plane and everything appears to be fine. Um, then when they tried to take off, and I think this kind of coincided with the truck showing up, I don't know, like, but when they were like sitting in the plane, they were going to take off soon um, he pulls out a gun, tries to shoot the pilot, um, isn't able to shoot the pilot, injures two of the other passengers, and then another one managed to subdue him, um, which I'm not sure what that means, but hey, man, whatever you need to do. Um, so, yeah, so he actually got on the plane and was shooting people in the plane. Um, other people were opening fire in the airstrip. The congressman died. Um, the, I think, three reporters and a cameraman died. So Jackie Spear, who was uh, Congressman Ryan's assistant and also has held his seat uh, since 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, so she did live. <laughs> um, that's nice. She uh, she had to get under a plane. Um, she was huddled there and she actually pretended to be dead because they were going around and checking to see if people were dead and shooting them again. She got shot five times. Um, she was in the hospital for two months. Uh, but she's a congresswoman now. Uh, so she, yeah. Like there's, it's horrible. And this is the least of the fucked up shit too, like, to be honest. Um, so yeah, so, so we'll, we'll move on and try to wrap this up. Um, so yeah, so that happened at that, at the airstrip. Um, if you, if you search Guyana airstrip, this comes up because it's such a, it was such a small area for something so horrible to happen. Um, yeah, it's, it's, there's, you can see pictures and shit. It's horrible. Just like, don't Google it unless you're ready. I was ready and I'm still not ready, really. Yep. Um, all right. So, do, 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 do. 
Okay, yeah. Um, Leah Ryan, the congressman, um, three news reporters, and one defector were killed. So it wasn't a cameraman. It was it was one of the people who left. Um, apparently, most of the people who left uh, were actually um, did actually make it out alive. Um, oh, one of the things I left out is um, the planes took off without Jackie Spear. Like she had been under a plane um, and like one of the planes like that had the living people on it actually took off and uh, she had to stay there for 22 hours without medical assistance and she still lived. This bitch. So I love her. This bitch. Right. Holy fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah she was in a hospital and she. Yeah. Like I, I don't understand like you, how you can get shot for five times like after you've crawled under a plane and then just like lay there for 22 hours and then eventually still live. Like she had, she had work to do. Apparently she wouldn't universe wasn't ready for her to (laughs) come back yet. That's, that's kind of the way that she puts it because she said she was laying there waiting to die because she didn't think of, you know, if he had shot five times, like, you know, you're going to die generally. Like that's not, yeah, it's not a thing that like, like she didn't think she was going to live through it. And then she's like, well, when I didn't die, then I knew like I was here for a reason. And so, yeah. So yeah, she's she's pretty great as well. Yeah. So anyway, so there was that. And that's now we're gonna go to the really fucking horrible part. Um, which for anyone who doesn't know the story of Jonestown, if you're coming here for like an interesting story, please like this is fucked up. When I say it's fucked up, I'm not uh being dramatic. Humanity at, all. It's at very its worst. Up. So so trigger warning for this last part here, because this is terrible. Um, so remember the suicide drills um, that they did before and how he did it enough times that people were basically at some point understood, oh, it's not going to be poison. This is just a loyalty test. Um, so, so this day, November 18th, 1978, um, they made up a vat of, of this stuff for people to drink Um and just to be pedantic before we get to the really sad part, um, it wasn't Kool-Aid. It was Flavor-Aid. I mean, I don't... It's not like either fucking company would have endorsed this, but like my my religion teacher in college probably would have been really annoyed if she, if she remembered who I was and if she listened to this and heard me and I didn't say that. So like for the, for the pedant in me, it wasn't Kool-Aid. And it doesn't fucking matter what it was. Yeah. Um, because the other stuff that was in there was Valium and cyanide. Um, so the cyanide was in there because, you know, he wanted everyone to die. Um, and this was, I'm sure it was a mixture of his own paranoia and also his understanding that, like, his time was coming to an end, you know. And if if my time's coming to an end, then so is everyone else, you know. Um, he definitely believed in the things he said about this being something worth dying for. Um, but of course the something worth dying for was like him and his own self, not anything about the actual people who were there for him. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Okay. So, um, the reason they put value in it was because they wanted to render people unconscious so that they would in effect, like go to sleep. Unfortunately, it seemed like the cyanide actually worked faster. So, um, a good portion of people did die and, a lot of pain. Um, Jones told them, don't be afraid to die. If these people land out here, they'll torture some of our children. They'll torture our people. They'll torture our seniors. We cannot have this. Um, it's unclear as to if he actually believed this or if he was just just being a horrible yeah. person. Um, but anyway, so people thought it was a drill at first. But the people... Um, 
Can you take a break? The people who went first were the children. Oh my no, god. We're almost there. Oh, that's so bad. Yeah. Ooh. Um about okay. About one third of the people in Jonestown were kids. So that's about three hundred children. Um uh. and and Okay, yeah, so these people have been indoctrinated in this cult. They have been drilled and drilled and drilled about what happens when we, you know, we're under attack and we have to leave the world or get tortured. What do you do? And they they were all conditioned to the point where they're told, like, if they're parents, where they would say, oh, well, then I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to take away their suffering. Um, so all of them have been conditioned to do this. Um, so, so, um, some of them did did fight it and didn't want to, but but it happened um they would like use syringes to put it down the kids throats um fucked up um and then adults of course were all expected to drink if they weren't uh, they didn't want to or if they ran they were either killed in some other way or they were forced to or they were injected with it um it's this was being enforced people didn't get away no survivors um, there's one exception that i could find um this um so at the end of the day 19 or 918 people died um in guyana um because of jonestown um there were 909 men women and children in jonestown itself um yeah um who all it's called a mass suicide i i fuck that it wasn't a suicide like this was a cult these people weren't in their right minds because they had been conditioned you know they they were being kept from being able to sleep they couldn't think straight they couldn't get out of the situation even if they wanted to right um so that's these people were murdered 909 of them in jonestown itself um four in georgetown there was a mother and her kids who heard this call over the radio they had like code words and she went in the bathroom and killed her children and then herself um, and then there were the five also at the Port Kaituma airstrip. So, so those are the people who were all killed there. They were manipulated, exploited. They didn't know what was going on. They were being lied to. Um, they believed in the pro- the promise of progressive social change, um, but they put they put their belief in this man, and he led them astray. Um, I think it's important to think. To think about what headspace these people were in, and we do have documentation of that. I, I'm not going to play the footage from it. That it's it's findable if you want to as a, as a listener, you can go out and find it. But I there's actually even a podcast I think that is called Transmission from Jones. Oh no, there is because I listened to some of it, but it's just it's it's hard it's hard to listen to. Um, so here's okay, it's hard to listen to, and this will be too. But I think it's important. Um, so this was a suicide note. They believe it was written by English teacher Richard Tropp. Um, it says, please try to understand. Look at it all. Look at it all in perspective. Look at Jonestown. See what we have tried to do. This was a monument to life, the renewal of the human spirit broken by capitalism, by the exploitation and injustice, or by a system of exploitation and injustice. Look at all that was built by a beleaguered people. We did not want this kind of ending. We wanted to live, to shine, to bring light into a world that is dying for a little bit of love. To those left behind by our loved ones, many of whom will not understand, who never knew this truth, grieve not. We are grateful for this opportunity to bear witness, a bitter witness. History has chosen our destiny in spite of our own desire to forge our own. We were at a cross purpose with history. 
We are calm in this hour of our collective leave taking. As I write these words, people are silently amassed, taking a quick potion, inducing sleep relief. So that was from one of the actual uh, People's Temple members um, in Jonestown. It's quite clear that this person has been led to believe that there's no way that they are going to be allowed to survive in the outside world. Um, this person's clearly been indoctrinated. That's not someone who has the same free will as us. It's, it's someone who's still clinging to this like brightness, this light that they think is a part of this. Um, yeah. And it's really sad. And I think it's, I mean, it's an opportunity to bear witness as this person's saying is this is what we're doing now is to bear witness to that and make sure that we don't allow this stuff to happen again, because cults of personality come from not just religion. They also can come from politics as well, as we see here, um, even politics that we think are good. So that's why it's very important to think about what someone's actually saying and not just get behind a person all the time, no matter what, you know, Yeah. like it's, the, the sad fact of the matter is if Beyonce decided she wanted to be a cult leader and do horrible things on this level, she probably could because, you know, being an effective performer, you can bring that out. You can make people feel like they're part of a community. And if you decide to harness that in a horrible way, then the capital, I'm not, Beyonce is not going to. Okay. <laughs> no, but, she's not the capital. No. That's exactly what yeah. happened. They, they got riled yeah. up not on their own. It didn't used to be like this so outwardly. It was like this, but like yeah. contained. And and it's like the QAnon conspiracy went so far that people later on when stuff di started to not happen and they finally realized there's people out there now having to apologize for horrible things that they thought and spread about other people. And like, that's really shitty, but thank God it was just that, you know, like... Anyway, I so so yeah. This is this is an important thing to talk about and I'm sorry cuz it's like there's not really a bright side to it at all. Yeah, I was going to thousand people died. What happened after? Like what how did they know? Did they like send another set of people down and they just found Well, 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 so, some people did, did, like, you forget, some people did live. There were, um, so most of the defectors did live. So whether that oh, was yeah. a dozen or 15 or whatever it was, um, one of them was killed, but they did manage to get away at least a plane full of people. I think it was just one that took off. It might have been, it might be that both of them took off and they just, like, didn't have everyone yet. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, so some people did live. So, like, when they got to the U.S., they were, like the shit's fucked up help needs to be sent etc so so they did get um like that was how um bad bitch jackie uh sheer uh got uh got rescued was because she like help was sent for her so 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 it was found out and then they i mean the whole area had to get cleaned up and stuff because there were hundreds of bodies so there were news cameras that went there also mm. um and i mean the the country saw what happened because this was at a time when news was like it was it, news was uh abundant televisions were in most homes so people people saw this and and i think the don't drink the kool-aid thing or the like you know people quote unquote drinking the Kool-Aid, I that was like a headline from a news article that people clung on to and that was I think that led a lot of people to believe it was like a crazy fringe thing. And like 
to some degree, I suppose it was fringe, but it wasn't as fringe as many people would have thought. Like he, they, they had a lot of associations out there with like this quote unquote normal people in life. So you think about it, the people born in the seventies and eighties are coming up with turning like 30 and like, no, not 30, um, like closer to 40 and 50 now. And it might be like, mm-hmm. that's, I don't know. It might be like far enough away in their mind that it's like not a big deal to say that, but just like just dissecting it and talking about it. It's just like, that is a horrific thing for such a common phrase to come from that people just like say super nonchalantly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I think honestly, I think a lot of people don't know. Yeah. Which I didn't is, know for a long time. I, yeah. I, I'm going to try to come up with um, some title for this. That's like why you shouldn't say that or something, because because I think there's a lot of people who know the phrase and they know like what the phrase means in the context we use it today but don't necessarily understand the history of it. You just title it because you keep saying that phrase. I'm not sure it means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like, well, th- yeah, like this is referring to something like, I don't know when I hear the phrase drinking the Kool-Aid generally, like it either refers to someone who's like being nutty in a specific way, like following some movement in that case, I suppose it's kind of related like, or it's that someone just really enthusiastically likes something. And in that way, it's not related at all, but either way, like just, I just don't invoke stories about horrific events at times when it doesn't need to happen. I say, as I just, did a whole podcast about it but uh but the i suppose the reason we're here talking about it is because it's an important thing to talk about so you know all the nuance and context saying someone's drinking the kool-aid isn't talking about it so i think it's important that people know that so that they don't talk so casually about something so horrific i think because even though you're not likely to like meet someone who was like yeah a defector like it's still just not something you should do. I think it's also goes along the vein of, and this is a whole like kind of separate thing that's only like tangentially related, but like I feel like there's a lot of like shame and like a culture of making fun of people who are enthusiastic about stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. when people get really into something and like hyperfixate and like are like mm-hmm. I like my whole life has changed because of this. Like I love this so much. I want to tell everybody about it because I'm excited. There's like a lot of pushback against that where it's like well you don't know what you're talking about and like blah 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 i was listening to whitney cummings podcast and she was like i was taught that happy people are stupid because if they knew what was going on they wouldn't be happy and i think that's kind of part of it where it's like if you're excited you're obviously dumb do you know what i mean is that making sense and, and i think i think i have a lot of that in me like as my like initial reaction to people sometimes where i have to walk myself back and be like oh my god just let people be happy yeah right <laughs> but but yeah no i i think that i think that that kind of it, it highlights that and also the okay so i i wanted to talk about the context um in which these people drank the the liquid um that killed them um the the not kool-aid the the horrible cocktail um but the the context they were in it wasn't something that was associated with free will as much as people seem to assume i i I think that when we use the term mass suicide people think like oh they, they they all chose to but like 
as a child, especially as like a small child, like that's not a thing you're choosing. Like that's just not a thing. And, and also if you're, if you're brainwashed in a certain way and you think that if you go outside of where you are, you're just going to be killed anyway. Like that's not you exercising your free will drinking that. I definitely like had connotations at the beginning before we talked about it, where it was like, Oh, the people drink it willingly and we're happy to drink it. Like that's the idea that I had about Jonestown in my head. I didn't realize it was like a whole like psychological warfare to get them to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like having to listen to sermons all day that tell you the horrible things that are happening in the outside world that aren't really happening, like all of that is going to fuck up your world perspective. So like the idea that people can exercise free will when they're being abused so much is, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I kind of want to make people understand like this wasn't a free will situation. This was like, like it was to a point. But by the time you reach Jonestown, like, that's not, those people don't have that anymore. Like, they're conditioned. Um, so, so there's that. Um, oh, there's, so, so there's a couple bright spots that I wanted to bring up just at the end because we need some. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I did say that there was one survivor actually at Jonestown. Um, let me find, I have an article about her up here. Okay. Here's she, um. Hyacinth Thrash. Great name. Her name. Um, she was 52 when she joined the People's Temple. And so that means in 19... She was 52 in 1957. So she was in her 70s um, by the time that Jonestown... Um, yeah, but by the time the massacre happened, uh, she hid under a bed because she heard the call and she just... She didn't want to. She like, she's like i'm not doing this yeah i i suppose yeah that's so okay so here's what the article says so she was one of the ones who had sold her house and given the money to people's temple um so so Hyath- hyacinth had soured on the cults um on november 19 or no- november 18th 1978 uh jones's uh sorry jones summoned his followers to the pavilion and directed them to die by drinking cyanide. Um, she actually, yeah, Hyacinth hid under her bed. She said, I remember those babies marching past our place with the little paper hats on, wearing sandals, sunsuits, and matching shorts and tops. It's enough to make you scream your lungs out. Mm. It's, sorry, it's enough to make you scream your lungs out thinking of those babies dead. But she, yeah, so she says she either fell asleep or passed out. She doesn't know. But she woke up the next day and there was, or, and there was just bodies everywhere, huh. um, including her sister. Huh. Um, yeah, so she, she woke up the only living person where there used to be over 900. Wow, what a nightmare. <laughs> I know. Oh, jeez. Holy fuck. So did she like, so she just didn't feel like going or did she like suspect that something was happening? Oh, Um. I'm sorry. I just found something that, okay. So I had also heard, I, it, it doesn't really say it just like, she just didn't go. Like okay. she just hit under the bed. She didn't go. Um, there was something else that I had heard that I couldn't find evidence of, but I'm seeing it here. Actually. Um, there was a footnote on it and it said, she is often said to be the only survivor of Jonestown though. An early associated press report said there was a second person found alive. There 79 year old Grover Cleveland Davis Davis, who was 
Wow, fantastic names. Davis, who was hard of hearing, reportedly had slept through the death assembly. He died the following year. Wow. Wow. Uh, okay, yeah. So apparently, apparently there were two. There was one person who who survived because she decided not to go, and and that was horrible. And then, the, yeah, the other guy I don't know that much about, but if I find more information, I can put something else on the end about him. But but yeah, yeah, very 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 few survivors. There's um, there's but there's that I wanted to say. There is that there were a couple people, at least one who survived. Probably two. It looks like. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, um, and this, I don't, I don't want to be that person who's constantly like, you know, talking about an issue, but, um, Scientology looks a lot like a cult as well. And I think it's maybe something we should be concerned about because it has enough parallels to Jonestown. So I would like to recommend that uh, people go listen to the Scientology Fair Game podcast. Um, they the reason I think it would be really good uh, for this, like as as something like to stop listening to this and then go listen to this, and why I'm talking about it right now, is because they actually had, yeah, is because they actually had a, a Jonestown survivor on. I just said on, on, <laughs> um, their, their 20th episode, uh, has Yolanda Williams. Um, and she is the, uh, San Francisco police department captain, or she is a police department captain in San Francisco. Um, and she came on their podcast to talk about Jonestown and about what led her there and what led her to not be there on that day. Um, she was one of the lucky ones who wasn't there. Um, some of his sons were as well. Like that's his, like he has surviving children who were away on at like playing a basketball game Mm. and like they didn't come back when they were supposed to and they lived because of that you know so there's anyway um so there's that and 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 yolanda was in that um kind of in that group although i think that she wanted to leave but she anyway at any rate was not there on that day um but she's talking to them and they kind of in that episode talk about the commonalities between people's temple and Scientology. And I think that's just, it's a really, it's a really valuable perspective. Um, And even though this podcast uh, talks a lot about like, like they they mostly are just talking about Scientology. They also talk about other cults. And I think it's a really cool way to look at that. And it's just, it's a really, it's just it's a really good podcast. Just go listen to it, guys, please. I um Leah Remini and Mike Rinder, um, who sorry, I'm gonna just finish this thought and then I'll let you interject. Um anyway, it's it's Leah Remini from King of Queens, if anyone knows who that is, which you probably do. Um, and then there's uh Mike Rinder, and he was the former head of OSA, which is the Office of Special Affairs, um, which was the Scientology basically like people who went after people who said bad things about Scientology. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's people speaking from experience about things going on in a cult that's active today. So this is a press suppressive podcast now. Um, anyway, <laughs> I just, I, I feel like I need to know about this because the populations that social workers work with generally and are meant to like protect and lift up are vulnerable populations. And that's who gets involved in cults. That's who they prey on. That's who society needs to be looking out for. Hence why they're called vulnerable populations. Yep. Oh my god, I just feel terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's that's I the don't thing feel is great that, right that's now. What, 
That's why I had to warn you beforehand, because like after I got done writing the notes, I just got so depressed. I, I told Hope before this this episode, I after I finished um making my notes, which I've been like I've been imbibing a lot of info about Jonestown the last few days. It's been it's been rough. Um, but I like earlier today I was like, okay, I'm done writing my notes, and before I talk about this, I'm gonna like do some quilting and watch Shits Creek and not think about this until I have to again because it's just it's truly terrible. But like I say, it is really important to talk about because there are really recognizable similarities between this and other things that are happening today. A blueprint, Um, if you will. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, well, my, that's what I got. My knowledge is much less vague, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, that's, not a fan. Uh, <laughs> so there's this other podcast I listen to a lot. Who? Oh, they did an episode about Jonestown as well. Um, it's called You're Wrong About, and uh, with Sarah Marshall and Michael Hobbs, they're fantastic. Um, and they have a t-shirt in their gift shop that I really want to get, which I probably will get soon, um, that just says history should make you feel weird. Like, you shouldn't get warm, fuzzy feelings when you talk about history. You should get, like, ugh, kind of feelings. Unless you're talking about, like, badass women. That's when I get, like, warm fuzzies from history. That's but even true. then, there's, like, a lot of stipulations to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, but it's a thing where I'm, like, I... I don't know. I, I just enjoy that. Like it's if you're leaving a history lesson feeling great, you don't know. You maybe your didn't actually learn anything. You're not looking at yeah, history and and correctly. this is unfortunately one of the things that's like it, it's a thing that's in the collective unconscious. But I don't know how many people consciously know the story. I I think actually what really made me want to do this was because I'd heard people say drink the Kool Aid a couple of times, and then I heard Seth Meyers say it, like uh, on one of the like the closer look things. Which and like the thing is like I'm sure I don't know. I'm not sure of anything about anyone, um, especially people I don't know. But um, but I I sincerely hope that Seth Meyers wouldn't just make a flippant joke if he kind of like realized and thought about that but a lot of people go into planning a late night show so i'm kind of hoping that like that wasn't yeah i'm hoping it's not a theme i don't want to see more jonestown jokes um anyway but yeah so this is uh this is rough but some things just are yep but it doesn't mean we should forget them yep so there's that um do you have any (laughs) yeah uh well i'm just i'm just concerned that the more I think about Scientology, the more I hear about Scientology, I'm just concerned that there's going to be a big thing that happens. And then yeah. everyone will look back and be like, um, didn't you see all the red flags? You know, so that that's kind of like a thing that makes me a little bit more preoccupied by it than I maybe should be for my own. Well, health, at but. least Leah Remini is able to tell how many people about what's going on. So more people know about mm-hmm. it now. And with Hulu yeah. having it now, like, and having a podcast and a book, like, she's doing... Hulu her, and Netflix. She's doing her dangdest to get this information out there, so... Yeah. yeah. That makes me a little yeah, optimistic. Yeah, and that's, uh... Yeah. Yeah. So, uh... So there's that. Um, yeah, but... And, and again, I'm not saying that Scientology and People's Temple are, like, the same... But there's so many commonalities between that and between, like, the Nexium cult and all that. Like, what, what I'm trying to get across is that, like, these are patterns we can see if we're looking for them. Yeah. But a lot of the times we're not looking for it. So 
so yeah, so 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 look for it. Be, I mean, I wouldn't say be pessimistic, but be analytical, maybe in your understanding of people, particularly people in power. Um, just because someone wants something that you also want doesn't mean they want it for the same reasons. So, yeah, and just just be be careful who you give your loyalty to, and uh take it away if you need to i suppose i think we're due for a light episode next week we are we are indeed yeah so we'll we'll talk about that and then we'll give I you guys about something earlier and then i forgot what it was but yeah we'll we'll come up with a light episode because this, was, this well, was a lot go eat some chocolate go get a slushy if you're faith collins and you know go just do well, go pet your dog watch some cartoons and come back to this mm-hmm. after a while. Don't forget about it, but like maybe forget about it for a second. <laughs> I have yeah, to go do- like maybe the next time maybe the next time you hear someone saying like talking about drinking the Kool-Aid, you can be like, "Hey, that's like not a great thing to say. Maybe look up the history about it." Or hey, maybe, maybe tell not. them or maybe like have them listen to the podcast or whatever. Or just don't judge it's people just, for getting It's just not excited. a good thing to say. Just leave yeah. people alone. Let them be well, happy. Oh, um the the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and this is kind of it's a weird thing to put here, I guess, but um, but the we we tend, and I've noticed this very recently. Um, I got into a little bit of an email argument with a a writer for the Albany Times Union about this. Um, <laughs> but the uh, we want so much to judge people who end up in cults. And it's such a fucked up thing because, and I'm gonna I'm gonna quote um, one of the whistleblowers for Nexium here, and he's someone who's been like kind of not vilified exactly, but like people are very suspicious because he's you know like he's making documentaries about stuff, even though he's a fucking documentarian to begin with. Um, but like uh, what Mark Vicente says in the vow. And, and I think he is being completely honest about this. He's having a conversation with some people who are making light of something that had happened to them before. I'm sorry, I'm getting a video chat. That was my husband's family and I just hung up on them. So anyway, <laughs> that's fine. I'll call them back. He's probably talking to them. Um, but anyway, um, in between this, like this really important thing I was saying. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah. So to quote Mark Vicente um, about Nexium and about cults in general, no one joins a cult. Um, there's a very emotional scene in the vow where he like kind of breaks a little bit and is is saying this to his um to a, like a friend and his wife and he's like he's like we can't treat this like it's a joke like no one joins a cult like you you find yourself in a cult you join yeah. a movement you believe in like you join something and you look that around is one doing day good and you're like yeah and oh then, yeah it's it's incremental it is small incremental change and then. And then in this case, and like Nexium and like all that stuff, like it can become a trap. Um, but Maybe. it's not like someone said, "Ooh, that's a nice cult. I want to go join it." Okay, so just stop with your judging of people. Like the Nexium thing got me really, really amped up about it because okay, and the reason I specifically got into an email argument with this uh, reporter was because 
he had written, and this is in the Albany Times Union, which is the same newspaper that broke the Nexium story, basically. Oh my God. He wrote this article that just called them like neurotic Hollywood types. And like, it, it was so shitty. And I was like, yeah, I know, dude, it's, it's a documentarian and it's an actress who were like the big people at the forefront of this. Right. But like, it's because they're good public faces. Like, that's why. And- like, and it's because they're trying to do good stuff. And, and so I wrote, I wrote an uh, email to him that was like, hey, like, you need to stop this is this is ridiculous like you can't call these people this shit like you're re-traumatizing when you do this and then he wrote me back this stupid email that was just like well that they did bad stuff too and you know and like i live in the area and i'm like bitch but they're trying to fix it and you're being an asshole about it and you're trying to write like a quote-unquote funny thing about it so not funny anyway so just it it makes me really mad i i like responded to him and gave him like a whole dressing down and then i put it at the notification to go in my spam or whatever so that i never would know if he actually wrote back because i'm like i don't give a fuck about you you just need to know but anyway and they're people so (sighs) they're just people at the end of the day trying to make themselves better trying to make it better for other people and you are taking advantage of that mr yeah and and that's like that's the attitude that i see that bothers me when people say drinking the kool-aid because when people say that i'm like do you know do you know what happened and you're saying that or do you just not know and you made a mistake in which case if you didn't know like okay now you know Mm -hmm. because you're on you're listening to the podcast so you know um but like (laughs) But yeah, if people know and they're still doing that, like that's the the, the reason it kind of rubbed me the wrong way about Seth Meyers saying that because I'm like, he should know. He should know better. That's, he seems like an intelligent person who would know that that's not a thing you can joke about, but who knows? Anyway, but like before I get too, too judgy on other people about being judgy <laughs> on other people, um, I'm gonna, <laughs> I think we should probably end this here because it's going to be almost two hours once I get it edited together. Yeah, okay. We yeah. were at like 40 minutes before this cut out. Mm. Anyway, um, so, so at the end here, I suppose I just, I just want everyone to be aware. Don't have any huge shout outs except for, um, I guess, J- Jackie Shear, Congresswoman Jackie Shear. <clears throat> um, you're boss, a bad bitch. And boss bitch of the week. I don't know how you survived. Um, yeah, boss bitch of the week. Um, yeah, uh, Yolanda, what was her name? I'm so sorry. Where are you? Also a boss bitch. If you're, if you oh, survived yeah. John, um, Jonestown and now you're a police captain for a major city, like, Yolanda kudos. Williams. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yolanda Williams is a police captain in San Francisco. Um, shout out to her. Shout out to, um, Scientology Fair Game for fighting cults that are ongoing. And, uh, shout out to... Lee Remedy and Mike Rinder. Yep. We <laughs> stand. All these people. So, so yeah. Uh, if you hear someone say drinking the Kool-Aid, maybe ask them not to. Maybe tell them Maybe tell them to come listen to the podcast, etc. And if you think someone's in a cult, you should try to get them out. Because cults aren't necessarily... I think that we have an attitude sometimes that cults are like this thing that crazy people get into, but that you can get out of them. Nope. And a lot of culture are like culture specifically designed. So it's really hard to get out. So just understand that if you're talking to someone who is in that position, that that person needs love and support, they need to know that if they choose to leave, that you're going to be there for them and that they're going to be okay. It's because they don't know that it's large scale systemic abuse. And there's the whole believe survivors thing where people will say stuff happen. They're like, nah, like, what is what, when did people stop believing other people and stop wanting them to be happy? That's yeah. stupid. I hate everyone. Yeah. So 
<laughs> so I, yeah, I guess, I guess definitely like, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to know who to believe and when to believe them, but like, just, just like, like pay, pay attention and also don't be really hard on people who made like a bad choice and believed someone who didn't have their best interests at heart. You know, like, let's think about who the real villains are in this situation. Right. Um, and those are the cult leaders. So I think that's where we can leave it. Uh, do you have any shout outs or other stuff you wanted to say? No, never. we shouted out everybody. I have a shout out to the chocolate in my fridge that I'm going to go eat after this. Yeah. Shout out to the the curry that my husband is cooking because it smells really good. I have brownies that I made. Just regular ones. And I'm probably going to eat some of those because of sadness. (laughs) I'm sorry. but (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm going to bring her down so much. (laughs) This is the first set of brownies that I made from scratch. And they took a really long time to cook. But uh, once I got them, they were pretty good. They're nice and cakey. That's good. Yeah. So that's a that's a positive note to end on. I made my first batch of scratch cookies. <laughs> no brownies. God damn it. <laughs> it's okay. All right. All right. Well, we're both clearly tired and done. So uh, I- <laughs> I'm Rosie and facts matter. I'm Hope and I have to go do dynamics of racism and oppression homework after this. But now that you know better, please be better. <laughs>